0: Hello and welcome to the third Anim Dojo podcast. Uh, my name's Tom, co founder of Blue Zoo. And for this episode, we're doing something a bit different from the previous two podcasts we've done, which have been on uh, discussions uh, about the animation industry and showreels. And this one is something called Motion Paths, where we chat to one person and uh, talk about their career path to where they were today and how they've kind of done a few different things, maybe done not so standard path to where they are and for today's motion path we're literally walking along a path and that is in Central Park in Manhattan talking to Ben Steer who's an animation director but he's had a bit of a varied uh, journey there uh, starting off at Bournemouth University and then veering into a few different jobs including touring the world with the band and ending up uh, at Blue Zoo as an animation director so going back to when you were little Ben what made you want to go
1: into animation um i don't i don't think i was one i don't think i was one of these people who who kind of knew uh early on i've got friends who were kind of like you know had dreams of joining pixar when they were only seven or eight years old um i knew i loved visuals and i loved graphics and i loved drawing um i've always regretted not maintaining my drawing throughout my life but um I, I would always listen to music and I would always create visuals in my head to it. For me, listening to music is a very um a visual thing. It's a visual experience for me. And I, fe- I think that it was only when I started talking to people late- slightly later on in life that I realised that that wasn't particularly, that wasn't commonplace for, you know, children. So I think that was the first signs that, you know, I, there was something slightly different about me from the other kids at school in so much as I kind of, I was always trying to visualise things, I was always thinking about things visually I was always thinking about visual representations of things, but it wasn't really it wasn't really animation at all that I was I had any interest in at that point, I obviously loved the usual cartoons but, so you're very creative I was but I was creative, I was I was naturally get good at art, I think that's probably most of the people you talk to when you, you enter animation circles, nearly everyone was good at art when they were back at school um, it, and and uh, yeah and I came from a slightly creative background. My dad's an architect, so um, I kind of we had a lot of interesting images on the walls and strange paintings that my parents had bought back in the eighties, obviously when I was a child and I think that was that was quite seminal for me. It was quite like I, I, very early on i was I was kind of like being exposed to quite abstract imagery, and the idea of abstract art to me was quite was normalized from quite an early age. so I think that was quite pivotal cool um so so you went through school and everything, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, like a normal person.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so and then you ended up
1: studying animation at university. So how did you arrive at that? Um, I, I I was completely lost. I thought I was going to go and do an art foundation and sort of try and find myself during that year. But actually, what happened was, was that I stumbled across a prospectus for Bournemouth University, and there was this one page. This was back, you know, back in the late nineties, and. Uh, there was you know the prospectus had, there was nothing of any interest to me in it but on this one page it had spaceships dragons um, like some kind of horrific skeleton guy or something, I can't remember but it was amazing I, just, I was absolutely enthralled by this idea of like this is what I might actually go and do as a career it was literally at that moment just happening upon that page that basically set my entire animation career path you stumbled across a prospectus. A prospectus, literally. literally. It was on the floor. <laughs> uh, no, to be fair, what actually happened was my mum f- threw it at me because I think she was frustrated, um, and I, it was yeah, it was that one page. It was the one sequence of images on that one page, basically. Cool. So you you applied and, uh, and then got in. Yeah, I applied. I li- I scraped in. They said you know you need to get this score in your A levels, and I just about got that score in my A levels. I I was I, I went to quite an old traditional. Um, Church of England school and there weren't any modern um, it was it was very old school so all we had to do all we had were choices things like economics and the sciences and the English literature and things like that so I ended up doing things that were complete I did art that was the only thing I did that was in any way related to animation and uh, everything else I did was purely just to get the points to get into university
0: Right so um, so you did the course did you have any idea of when you, when you saw the course thinking in terms of career or was it like I'll just go to university then figure out what I'm going uh, to do then
1: yeah I think so I mean I I can't really remember back then I, I the the big discovery for me at university was that I after three years of learning and, and getting to you know and obviously kind of becoming part of this community I never felt confident in my own abilities and I think that was something that kind of uh, meant, that was part of the reason why I stayed on from after the three years at Bournemouth I stayed on and did a master's degree and it I need to probably point out that when you and I went to university, it was the final year when university fees didn't exist. We basically went free. to university for free, so it wasn 't a huge decision. I mean we were you know extremely lucky we had nothing to lose <laughs> no exactly so you could go to university, you could drop out after a year, and it, you would have been no you know no more out of pocket um, so I, given that it was such a you know it wasn't an expensive endeavor. I basically stayed on for a fourth year just in order just to kind of increase my knowledge and understanding of animation because I just, I, I, it was it was something that I felt I didn't have enough confidence in to kind of go out into the larger world and start job hunting and I, the more people, I, I speak to a lot of animators now especially people who are studying and it seems to be a a similar feeling. There's, a, there's often a feeling of a lack of confidence in your ability. Well, it's a
0: massive step to go from the cocoon of education yes. into
1: the, the rest of your life. Yes, definitely. And some people and some people don't struggle with it so much, and, and some people do. And, and, and quite often, it's, it's actually has little to no reflection on someone's abilities, well, their confidence. confidence thing, yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. It's just self-confidence and self-belief. And, those, and your abilities and your self-belief are quite often very unrelated. So people thinking about whether they want to do an MA or not, how did you find it compared to the BA? Uh, the, it was essentially very similar. We covered a lot of similar ground. What it acted to do, what it basically did for me was it enabled me to kind of just continue learning and continue experimenting in a sort of a safe environment where I wasn't having to worry about trying to find a job. Like I said, it wasn't expensive at the time either. So it wasn't for like. Uh for going overseas or something like that No, no No, I wasn't really thinking that far ahead I I kind of I just wanted to find more time (laughs) I just wanted to further my education essentially and like I said it was a cheap option I mean the the thing is I would say to people who um, who had done the BA I wouldn't suggest you would do an MA on the same course at at the same school because you're essentially it's primarily designed for people coming from other courses so you're you're essentially cramming in three years of education just into kind of like 12 months But on the flip side if you it's very good
0: if you want to if you've done a different yes did you uh, BA and then you want to get into animation you can do the MA to yeah of course to move sideways yes cool so uh, when you
1: did the MA and you finished that after a year what what happened well my course <laughs> my journey was throughout my 20s was generally I kind of moved away from animation I kind of I, I, was, I still hadn't found this kind of confidence in my abilities. I still didn't really feel like I know what, knew what I was doing, or I knew what I wanted. But that's very common, right? But not everyone knows that's common. No, of course. And I also don't think that... I, I, I know that there are a lot of people who then who don't go into the animation industry, but... I I, I wanted to, I just didn't really know how, I wasn't really prepared, I don't think I was ready in myself I didn't have any self-confidence in my abilities So I basically went off and just did other work I went went back to my hometown, I ended up just working for the local council I worked for some pensions company, I got into a band, I started playing music I eventually started doing freelance work here and there And that was actually how I um, got back in touch with Blue Zoo uh, as a freelance generalist and throughout this entire time, I was just doing other things. I'd gone off, I'd gone into a relationship, I was you know, playing in various gigs here and there. And I think I really, really needed that time to kind of go off and just find what it was I wanted to do. You know, as long as I was earning money, it didn't really matter. There wasn't like a ticking clock that, you know, dictated that I had to find my career path by a certain age. So what, what eventually happened was I had joined a band that was quite serious and was full-time when I was about 29. And I stayed with them for a couple of years, and after that kind of all kind of fell apart as it was inevitably going to do uh It wasn't then until I finally joined blue Zoo full time they we'd been in discussions and they thought it'd be a really good idea if I joined uh, the productions team because I'd built up a good relationship um with you guys <laughs> if yeah. you remember and uh yeah and then the rest history from then from then on I've just kind of like you know got my head down worked the shop floor and kind of um yeah just. I've been enjoying it, and having a great time, and just and, and now, I'm f- you know fully 100% committed to this career. Having having tried others and having gone other places, it's just made it more. It's galvanised it in my mind that this is what I need to be doing and this is what I enjoy doing the most. So
0: that's one thing I wanted to ask on. do you think that doing the going with a band, kind of you toured the world?
1: Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did <laughs> parts some, of it. <laughs> we toured. Yeah, we had some pretty crazy moments where we were playing gigs all over the place. Yeah, and I, I, what, I, what it really helped. Was to give me a view of another industry, a completely different industry, and actually one that's notoriously difficult to break, <laughs> one that's notoriously difficult to to make money in, and one that's very ruthless as well. So, having seen that, having seen that as an option, coming to the animation industry, you realize how great it is, how how amazing the people are, how friendly everyone is, and it just yeah, it it, it just made it clearer clearer in my mind that that's where I needed to be. Gave you a kind of bigger frame of reference. of yeah. what you, you want to do sort of different different careers yeah exactly and I've, I've heard this story throughout the, the animation industry you know I, there, there's a, uh, there was a guy at Pixar I remember then talking about it as well I think it was the guy who directed uh, Monsters University we went to a talk with him and he said that they had you know there was a guy there who who 'd been a plumber for twenty years and then decided to try his hand at animation and was just you know really took to it like a fish to water and and, and that 's what he ended up doing you know there's there 's nothing to say that you have to you have to be on your career path after you graduate you know that you, there is plenty of room for people to kind of find their way and there 's plenty of time there's no you know there's no age bias it 's not like you're you're not going to get a job if you 're over thirty you know so you, you have time i think that 's the, the kind of the overriding feeling i i have because I think I've
0: mentioned it in previous podcasts, where it seems these days there's a there's a big pressure for for graduates to uh, to pick their career path and then stick with it, which is a massive kind of pressure to yeah. to succeed very quickly. Yeah, but, I can imagine. Yeah, you know, there's there is no thing as a job for life anymore. No. When and people do kind of switch back and forth, where some people have multiple careers. Yeah, in their lifetime, which is much more common than it was. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like I think thirty I, years ago. I
1: think the last the last figure I heard was on average they think people have seven different jobs in their lifetime or something. You know, with, that, that are considered careers or something. That yeah. complete complete nonsense. But definitely, <laughs> someone definitely said that, and you said it thinking. now. So, <laughs> I've said it, so you can quote me. <laughs>
0: cool. Okay. Uh, so within Blue Zoo, you you started animating. Yeah. On a show, and then you kind of then moved up
1: up the chain yes so i think this is really important because i was talking to we we've been meeting a few companies out here in new york and someone else said it recently as well that there's a general feeling that a lot of graduates are coming out of school now with the idea that they want to be like an art director or an, a, some kind of supervisor or they want to be a director even and it's not re- you it's not really until you get into the industry you realize first of all no one's looking for those people for those roles from graduates we want we want people to we want to find the talented people to then allow them to then work up to those roles so it's just just started to wazz it down with rain um,
0: so we just found a little bridge so it's going to go echoey now if you imagine Home Alone the bridge that Macaulay Culkin runs under in uh, Central Park then that's imagine where we are now I think
1: that's, I think that's him over there he's still there Anyway, let's just ignore him. <laughs> anyway,
0: um, the question was. <laughs> about you started at Blue Zoo as an animator and then worked your way up
1: to animation director. Yeah. So um, I I basically started, like I said, we, I was working in the productions team and we were, were animating up to about eight seconds a day, about seven to eight seconds a day of footage for uh, children's TV series. It being children's TV series, you have to make sure that your sort of acting choices are very clear. Um, generally kind of people's motivations are always very sort of black and white in children's TV so it's a very good way of, of kind of honing the skills of kind of clear big bold acting um, and if you're doing that day in day out you learn pretty quickly how to animate you know, and, and you're surrounded by a good team as well so because also you're, you're, you're having to output um, a lot of footage a day you have to, first of all you have a lot of responsibility because there isn't the time and the resources to have lots of dailies and lots of feedback so you'll have, you have to be entrusted um, by your su- supervisors to basically get on with the job. They, you know, you can be left for a week at a time to just be basically given scenes and shots to work out yourself. And you're left to do it. And it's actually a very, very good lesson because you you're not constantly relying on someone else to sort your camera out or a supervisor to kind of tweak the fingers and the the tiny details you have to just do it all yourself so you learn you know i'd say you learn the hard way which you is you learn quickly eh? you learn quickly and you learn the hard way. yes exactly um and obviously everyone takes to it at different speeds but you know it's um it's a valuable lesson so that's essentially what i was doing for years um and yeah I just learned to get faster and faster and, and more and more confident and that's finally after after years of animating I finally found that confidence and it's just a natural process that you have to go through I think having a lack of confidence to a degree is actually healthy because what it does is it it it, it ensures that you're pushing yourself that you're trying to improve it, it just becomes dangerous when that kind of lack of um when that self-doubt becomes too great that it actually cripples you and it actually stops you progressing. So you have to find a, he- a healthy balance and it's very difficult to do.
0: But it does come out of balance because equally if you've got too much
1: confidence yeah. that you, are, you you can struggle to, struggle to get a job. Yes, exactly. First of all, it makes you an annoying person if you have too much <laughs> confidence. But secondly, it's what it means is if you're very confident in your own work, you're probably not seeing what's wrong with your work so you're therefore not going to see how you can improve. So you have to strike this healthy balance between being having enough confidence to move forward and to make progress but not not having too little to hinder you because you're too worried about making mistakes and it it affects everyone it affects all of us who i animate with we all have that that kind of self-doubt balance that we're kind of constantly nurturing and and trying to get right the one, the one thing I tell all students is fail forward. I don't know who coined that phrase, but it's the easiest, simplest way to, to remember it. Fail forward. You have to fail in order to make progress. And every time you fail, you become slightly better at not
0: failing. And that's really what the grounding, of what Alan Dojo is, is the fact that a uh, lot of people always want to make that Sheryl piece. But you don't, like a, like an artist, you don't get become a great artist by doing lots of oil paintings. You become a good artist by like uh, Michelangelo had in his a sketchbook full of very simple quick doodles yeah. and it's that's what makes you uh, brilliant by doing lots of little small steps which you did animating for a, a couple of seconds a day
1: yeah. uh, on on production yeah and I, I look back at my early work it's awful it's terrible I wouldn't you know and um, it, it's when I see people's showreels as well because we have to hire people all the time I'll ask them like oh have you got anything you know anything more to show me and the fact is is they do but they it's too far in the past for them to show so they've already improved so much in the last year and a half that they would no longer wish to show me that older animation so they might only have about three shots to show and it's because you improve so quickly generally and, and you're able to look back and, and what's brilliant about animation is you've got a very you've got a, because all our animation is stored somewhere you've always got it on YouTube or you've got it on a hard drive it's very easy to look back and see how you've improved so you know, that's, yeah. a, that's the same for many arts but um, it's, yeah, it's it's really visible in animation. So I, I just, just going back, like my early, like I animated on Trifu Tom, I, I cringe when I watch it now, <laughs> but it's it's lovely to see because I can see how far I've come at the same time.
0: I once read a quote where they said, if you if you look at your work a year ago and you don't cringe, you're not pushing yourself hard <laughs> yeah. enough. Yeah, that's You're, true. you're staying too still. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's true. Because I, I can even think back to stuff I've done a year ago and think actually, yeah, I, I, I can already see what's wrong with it.
0: Yeah um so you how how did becoming an animation
1: director happen then um it kind of happened uh well eventually it's my current job title and it's happened i'd say quite slowly it 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 was i was always determined to just learn my trade i i I always say to people you know before you it's the old adage of like learn to uh, walk before you can run but especially in the animation industry you can't go in and presume to be an animate uh, an animation director or a, a director and tell other animators what to do until you yourself have experienced it and done it and, and done and, and done your time <laughs> it sounds i mean it's sort of sounds punitive but it's true i mean you have to you animating every day 8 seconds a day is re- is really quite tough it can be very difficult but at the end of the day after a few years of doing that you really know what you're talking about and then you can start you can free yourself up and you can start to, um, being more creative with it. And, and, th- and th- at that point, when you're starting to deal with more of the ideas generation, uh, sort of the generating of ideas, that's when you can start you know, working in a more superior roles. And I think that's... Um, I, I guess one of the things I think that makes a good
0: animation director is not so much the skill, but it's the communication. Yes. And that's something that takes a long time with experience to learn how to communicate well, that I guess when you're younger... You don't have that experience of communicating in a studio environment with a with a wide array of personalities.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also, it's just a life skill, you know, just people, just um, people management. Um, You can go on as many management courses as you like, but at the end of the day, just having having experience of working with people and how to communicate with people is, is something that you like any other skill in life. You learn. So I'm far better at communicating with people now than I used to be. Say seven years ago just because I've had to do it like anything you just you do something you become better you learn what works and what what doesn't work yeah exactly
0: so didn't you you became an animation director and then you stepped back for a bit
1: yes so at one point I was promoted to animation director and I basically realized that I still didn't feel confident enough in my animation skills I was telling a lot of people what to do and how to frame their shots and you know what beats to try and hit but ultimately deep down I really knew what I ultimately needed to do was just go back to the shop floor again I just needed to go back spend a few more years just honing my craft and then and then go back to being an animation director again So you went back to being an animator for a bit how
0: long was that?
1: Um, oh god I can't Was I I, it a year or something? Yeah no it? it was more than that I, I, went, I, I went on to Tree Food Season 2 so that would have been about a year and a half I did Cube that was about a year uh, and then we did uh, Digby Dragon so I did another three projects just as a lead animator. Um, then what, what's th- uh, the difference between a lead animator then and an anima- animation director? So a lead animator, uh, generally you will be in the team of animators and you'll be animating generally with about the same um, number of frames to produce daily, sometimes a bit less and you'll just be in charge of kind of representing the team and liaising with your team members to make sure everything's okay and working out, you know, assigning whose shots go to who and things like that. Um, whereas an animation director generally won't actually be animating at all. They'll be far more concerned with, uh, like, analysing what the animation style will be for the piece and then... Uh, and story. And, and story, exactly, and working with the director to kind of get the best out of the story. And also just uh, feeding back to the animators and and making sure that they are the way that they're moving the characters around is all on model. Making sure that they're all the character is coming across. Uh, I know a lot a lot of the larger productions like in film have animation supervisors as well, where you have basically sort of several more layers to the kind of uh, so it's more directing, more directing than animating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: Cool. So. Nowadays, you're doing a lot with development as well, kind of helping kind of clients develop their ideas and scripts. Um, how have you found transitioning from an animator role to doing that script, uh, helping with script stuff? Is that something that you found has come natural, or have you had to do any kind of extra training or learning for that?
1: Um, well, basically, how it all came about was I was I, I would sometimes get quite frustrated as an animator because I felt like sometimes you know the script I might be dealing with or the um, sometimes just the story beat that I was dealing with, I, I felt like it could be improved. But I knew that as an animator, I didn't have the power to make those decisions. I was essentially, you know, you're you're given the scene and you're given the shot and you're given the dialogue and you have to do the best you can with it. So I would, I would t- took more interested, I, sorry, I took more interest in the sort of the writing process and looking at story. And I think it was around that time I really started reading up on it. I, I read um, several books about writing and screenplay writing and, stru- and story structure and things like that. Just purely out of interest, I found the subject very lot uh, of fascinating. And um, no one, at no point did anyone ask me, oh, by the way, Ben, do you want to come and write the script? Because that's just not how it works. What actually happened is I would just start volunteering to help other people on projects and say, you know, is there anything I can do? Do you want me to kind of have a look at if you've got some problems with it can we iron it out together this kind of thing so i just i showed enthusiasm and i you know i put in the time i'd stay late after work if it meant that i could kind of get involved in a project that i like the look of so i think that my uh, i think that sort of display of enthusiasm really helped to kind of um get me considered uh later on when people needed you know help with scripts and things like that and then eventually i think um blue zoo kind of uh, then trusted me enough after I'd kind of proved that I could do it they trusted me enough to actually give me um, script writing jobs here and there and then one of the most recent jobs I've done uh, was for Playmobil where they sent us a script and it, it wasn't really working, it had been translated from German and I sort of you know, I just I went. I tried to go above and beyond. I said, "Well, listen, you know, let me have a go. I'll try and rewrite the script, and I'll see if I can improve it." And I, you know, they agreed it was improved after I finished with it. So ultimately, it was just another great um, learning experience. It was another. It was another chance for me to just try script writing again. And again, it come. It came from me volunteering to do things and trying them and sort of seeing if I could and sort of saying, "Look, there's nothing to lose if I, if I yeah. try and improve this script and it's worse, then you know, just go back to where it was." But it's all stuff that I. I had, you know, it was it came from me. It was my enthusiasm and it was my time that I put put into it to, in order to get there. Basically, I
0: think that's probably one of the most important pieces of advice, uh, from from my perception, is that just taking that uh, opportunity to ask if you can do something, because yeah. in life, nothing nothing will land in your lap (laughs) you've got to go out there and ask for it
1: exactly and I was just saying this to someone the other day who was telling me they were completely unrelated to our industry but someone was telling me the other day how frustrated they were with their job Mm -hmm. and the first bit of advice I'd give someone in that situation is no one's going to come and promote you no one's one's looking around for someone to kind of hoik out of their boring job and and give them a great job if you want the change in your life, in your career you have to chase it and it sounds obvious when you when I put it like that, but actually, you know, you you don't you see people complaining about their job, but they're not actively doing anything to change that. Whereas they can, and I I have, and I've seen other people do it as well. Uh, and I guess that is a confidence thing, because what the worst that can happen is they say uh, no, thanks, I'm all right. Yeah, so- exactly. And you have, to, and again, it's about it's about becoming slowly more comfortable with failing, <laughs> and and realizing that you're not actually losing anything. You know, if you like, for example. Um, uh, even for you, Tom, I've done a, a couple of pitches recently where I've written up some ideas and said, "Look, this is how I would do it." We've given it to the client. The client said, "No thanks." So I go, yeah. "Oh God, okay." You know, I, I don't mind anymore because I and I, I a lot of the confidence has come from the fact that. um I've done enough thing. I've, I've created I've finished enough projects in my life that have been accepted as being quite good now that I know I'm capable of of good output now I've proved it to myself and I've proved it to other people in the company so now I feel I'm far more at liberty to fail now and again I can occasionally like I can mess things up not that I do because I, there's too much of a good structure around me there's too much of a framework around me that we don't we don't generally fail at anything I mean that's a quite a strong term anyway but it means now that I'm, I, ha- I don't have that fear anymore I know that I, 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 can, I can trust that my opinion on what what will work is probably going to be right and it's, it's also about taking learnings
0: from those times where it doesn't go according to plan saying well how can I learn yeah. from this so I don't make
1: the same mistake twice yeah exactly and then what you start to do is when you get more confidence and you start getting feedback instead of wh- what generally happens when you're younger and you're less experienced and someone's giving you feedback is it's quite common and quite natural for us to seize up. We tense up, you know, we cringe a little inside when someone's telling you what's wrong with what you've done and you get defensive and you naturally you want to you want to almost retaliate and sort of say, well I you know my opinion's different. Whereas actually the more confident you get, the more accepting of feedback you get. And actually it gets to the point where you become more welcoming of feedback to the to the to the point where now if someone's got some feedback for me, generally I really want to hear it. I find it fascinating now because I want to hear someone else's take on what I'm doing. Because I know that my opinion is, is is worth it, and I know that theirs is too. So then, then what what's what used to feel like to me, like really difficult criticism to take, now feels like an interesting creative discussion. And it's right. all to do with my it, yeah, cause it's, it's all my, subjective, it's to a, subjective to an extent. It's, <laughs> it's my perspective. All that's changed is my perspective. It's not obviously obviously there are lots of other interesting things that can be happening in these conversations for example you it's not always that simple you can have someone who's just very bad at giving feedback and can make people feel bad about their work but unfortunately I don't have to deal with those people that's someone
0: who's bad at their job yeah exactly
1: (laughs) and and unfortunately we a lot of us will encounter people who who are bad at their jobs and bad at at communication and bad at giving feedback cool so from that what uh would you do the same path again if you were Eighteen years old again. Um, I I would lo- I love the idea of being going back to being eighteen and knowing what I know now and just being some kind of super mega ace <laughs> at my job who was just miraculously. But then you might like- have too much confidence and it might go really <laughs> badly wrong. Yeah, it's true. Well, then I'd go on a new journey. Um, <laughs> um, I, uh, do you know what? The way I think about a question like that is I'd have to like we have to be really strict on the rules. So I'm eighteen <laughs> and I and I know this career. So no gambling. So <laughs> Um, I had a, I did have a, a, a chip on my shoulder, so to speak, for quite a long time when I first started off full-time in animation because I was, I was in my early 30s and I was sitting alongside and working alongside people in their early 20s who were at the same level, some higher level than me, and it felt very much like I had even more to prove. But the, the, it was very far from the truth. Again, it was just purely my perspective on the situation. No one cares. Everyone's got their own challenge. Everyone's running their own race. And um, I, I think the only thing, going back to the original question, I think the only thing I would change would probably be, uh, I don't know, because I think actually the experiences I had right up until before I started full time at Blue Zoo were some of my most amazing experiences. Yeah. Like we, I was touring in a band; we were literally going around the world playing gigs and things. And I think it's it, all it adds up. It adds up, and it's it's contributed to me having some great memories. So no, I don't I don't think I would change it. Okay.
0: So for anyone out there starting out at that. Uh, 18 early 20s stage of their career have you got any nuggets of advice um, into if they maybe if they're not sure of what what path they want to go down
1: uh, Probably advice they've already heard but it's always worth reiterating is to not be afraid to fail and it's really really important it's the biggest life lesson you just have you just have to keep trying at something and you and you, and you can keep failing at it and that's good. And the thing is, I honestly don't think, as I was growing up, as I was drawing, as I was dabbling in animation, I don't think anyone ever told us that. I don't think anyone really, really... Yeah, it
0: seems quite more of a modern
1: uh, mentality. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, also, like, one example that I use for myself is the fact that I'm going to life drawing, and I have to remind myself every week that I'm not going to life drawing to create beautiful art. I'm going to life drawing to become better at life drawing. What I mean by that is it doesn't matter if at the end of it I don't come away with something that looks beautiful as long as I have just slowly, you know, just done another lesson in, in improving my observation skills and improving my pencil skills. And it's not about creating beautiful things. It's just about having experience and building on that experience. And the other lesson that I'd say I think is really important is that you really, really can do anything you want. And I, and it, I, whenever I heard people like Will Smith and all these, you know, amazingly optimistic Hollywood film stars say this kind of stuff, like, it just sounds like complete nonsense. But the older you get, the more you, the more you realise it's true. The people who are successful at what they do are the people who just did it the most. And if I had spent the last fifteen years of my life playing guitar every day, I would be an amazing guitar player. I'd earn money doing it, and I might, you know, be in some amazing band. But the same goes for animation, the same goes for illustration. The people who are the best at it are simply the people who did it the most. But it's and focus practice. Yes, exactly. And it's, it's the people who did it the most, yeah, you're quite right, and the people who obviously had a goal. And the thing is, is that that basically accounts for any skill in life. And I always thought when I was growing up, and I even think it was told to me this way, that you, you can either draw or you can't. You know, There were people in my class who just couldn't draw, and then there was me who could. And there didn't seem to be any logic as to why I could draw and they couldn't. And ultimately, when it comes down to it now, the people I see who are brilliant at art, it's nothing to do with how good they were at school. It's just to do with how much they practice. Yeah. What lessons they're doing. How, you know, how, how, how hard are they pushing themselves? So ultimately, you have the control. You have the control over how good you are at anything. So
0: you recently made your second short film at Blue Zoo, which *The Moon*, which has been BAFTA-nominated... And uh, so obviously you're doing something right when it comes to short filmmaking. And there's a lot of people out there who may be making their very first short animated film or thinking about it or making another one. What do you think... How do you approach a short film uh, to, that you think that makes a good short film?
1: How do you start from that kind of blank slate? Um, I, well, that's just it. I don't start from a blank slate. And I think if you... If you're looking at a blank white page and wondering what, what, what kind of short film you can make, your, your approach is wrong. Um, I would never start a project with absolutely nothing. It, the only time I would, I'd get enthused about... you know, First of all, I'm only ever going to make a film about something that I feel is going to be a really strong idea and something I feel deep down is going to work. I, I, if, if I have my doubts, if I'm not sure the idea is ready, then I won't run with it. I'll wait until the idea is ready. And I don't think you can do that if you're just staring at a blank white page. So, in all, so as with all any any project that I've had to kind of conjure something up, I've always uh, tried to, my best to ensure that there's always a seed of an idea there already. So, um, with Mamoon, it, it was it was we had a brief set by the company by you because <laughs> <laughs> you exist here in this interview. Um, and so that was it was easy for me then to take that and and so I didn't start with a blank page there and then secondly I knew that I want what the vague subject matter I wanted to base it on which was the Syrian migrant crisis so I already had the seeds of an idea there and there was another situation recently where I had to write a very short script for a potential advert uh, that basically revolved around a dog and that's all I had there were no other parameters and I knew the only way I could come up with a story was if I gave myself some parameters and I gave myself some in point of inspiration. So I started looking into what the uh, dog represents uh, in Chinese culture and all this kind of thing. So, in, in other words, what I did was, instead of uh, just facing, uh, just placing a, a blank white pa- piece of paper in front of me, I made sure that there was something else in front of me that I could work from. So there was already the seeds of something that could possibly develop into an idea. So I think if I were to give any advice to someone making a short film, I'd say, I'd say exactly that. You, 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 need, you need the seeds of something first. Something you care about. Something well. you care about, exactly. And I think those, those moments, those points of inspiration, can only really come if you're, if you're going out of your way to experience and see and read and watch interesting things. So I'm always, I've always got a book on the go. I always try and go to galleries. Uh, my, me and my girlfriend go to the theatre, and every time, every time I'm out and about and I'm, I'm, am sort of absorbing these things. I'm always partially aware that there could be great ideas there, buried that I just need to kind of make note of. If something kind of strikes me as, a, as, a, as something of interest, I'll probably jot it down on my phone. So there's always like a, and I, I've heard this. Um, this technique being used by a lot of people especially writers if they hear dialogue if they hear you know some interesting conversation you just need to get into the habit of just collecting good ideas I've even got a folder on my computer where anytime I see an interesting image or someone links me to something that looks interesting I'll pop it in this folder just on Dropbox so it's on any computer I own I have the same Dropbox folder and it just means I've got this like I I think it's up to you know several thousand images now where I can quickly flick through and I've instantly got a bank of. Amazing, inspiring things that I can use as a sort of a jumping-off point for an idea. Cool. That's a very good, good long bit of good answer. bit
0: of advice. Cool. I think that's it. So, uh, cheers, Ben. Oh, thank and you. I hope uh, I hope you guys listening uh, have enjoyed hearing Ben's path to where he is. My ramblings. <laughs> and and that's it. So, cheers for listening to this podcast. Um, if you check out other Dojo stuff, uh, we've recently released uh, free videos and a rig for learning uh, Maya character animation if you haven't done it before. So it's a nice free way of dipping your toe in to the world of Maya animation if you haven't done that. See if you like it, then if you do, you can uh, get involved with more Anim dojo stuff to become a brilliant uh, character animator. And uh, coming up, we've got more podcasts which uh, are on career advice. Oh, just nearly got hit in the head by a flying duck. And uh, there's more podcasts to come. And also check out the other podcasts on show rule advice and lots more. And that's it. So,
1: cheers for listening. And thanks and bye. Bye.